0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to have a look at your word. And we pray, Lord, that it is indeed your word which which will do the speaking this morning. We know that your word is um, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray, Lord, that, that through Jesus Christ and the work of your spirit, you might apply this word to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that uh, this wouldn't just be something that is you know, a fun fact, something that is, is nice to know, but we pray, Lord, that this would actually, your word would actually impact our lives and help us to live as your church more faithfully. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We need good leaders. You know it, I know it. We need good leaders. We need good leaders and we need people who lead us. You want your kids' school to have a good principal who will who'll run the place well. You know, you want a manager at work who's a who's a good boss who's going to help you do your job well and lead you and in the organization well. We want a good mayor who will lead our city well, a good premier, a good prime minister. We want them to be really good at their job and we want them to be upstanding citizens even when the camera is not pointed at them. We, we want good leaders. We we need good leaders in everyday life. And the same goes for the church. But continuing our, 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 our theme from last week in, in thinking about... Uh, uh, We've been using a bit of a military metaphor for talking about the church. I promise I won't drag this out too long. One more week of military metaphors to talk about the church. But one place where leadership is absolutely critical is in the trenches. In times of war and battle, you need capable, ranking officers, officers who will lead well. Officers who will care for the troops' well-being. Officers who will prepare the troops with the right training and equipment. Who will give out good orders and instructions. We need officers who will make strategic decisions that minimize hurt while gaining victory. You imagine for, for a moment you're in the trenches on the front line and you didn't have ranking officers with you. You know, the order comes down from the general, he's off somewhere else making big decisions and, and the order comes down that you've got to you know, advance and attack the enemy position. But then the question becomes, well, how are we going to do that in our context, in this place, at this time, how are we going to make our attack? One guy comes up with an idea, oh, you know, let's wait till nightfall and we'll attack under the cover of dark. So he sits off to the side and does nothing. And you've got one bloke who says, oh, no, no, we should do a sneak attack now and come up from behind on the enemy position. So he chuffs off to have a go. Then you've got another bloke who says, no, we've got an all-out assault. Take him, take him, and, and we'll take as many explosives as we can and we'll make a full frontal attack. Shock and awe. And so he and, and one of his mates who thought that was a great idea go off to have a go at doing that themselves. So you've got different people taking completely different approaches. They're all trying to get to the same goal, but they're all trying to go about it differently. It's chaos. And in fact, uh, all these folks chuff off and some of them are actually firing at each other because they're not having a coordinated effort. Everyone has a battle plan that's right in their own eyes. It's a mess, and unsurprisingly, you would expect that to end in defeat. It's because the troops need the troops in the trenches need commissioned officers who will care for the troops' well-being, who'll prepare the troops with the right training and equipment, who'll give out good orders and instructions and make good decisions that minimize casualties while gaining victory. And and unsurprisingly, we need the same thing in the church. The Christians, the church, you know, those believers who have been who have been bought by Jesus and who gather together on earth we're an outpost of heaven on the front lines of God's expanding kingdom. And we need commissioned officers who will care for our well-being, who'll prepare us with the right training and equipment, who'll give out good orders and instructions, and who'll make good decisions that minimize hurt while seeking to gain victory. And that's what we think we need, but it's also what Jesus thinks we need because he gave us commissioned officers. Now, if you were in the army or other arms of the defense force, you'll find a whole bunch of different ranks, you know, colonels and brigadiers and lieutenants and so on. And depending on which branch you belong to will depend on what rank structure there is. But this doesn't translate to the church. We're not a militarized organization. We are a Jesus' church, and he has given us different offices. You could say they're different ranks, but I'm not going to stretch the example that far. But, but Jesus gave the church formal offices under himself. Got Jesus as the head, and then he builds his church through his apostles, and then the church is run on the ground through elders and deacons. And so we're going to mainly focus on the elders and deacons today, but I'll quickly go through Jesus as the head and what the apostles' job is in all of this. And and we're not ranked per se. It's not like um, the higher you get up the ladder, the closer you are to Jesus, or the more Christian you are, if you can climb up this ladder. It's not, it's not like that. It's just that these particular offices are, are given... Um, so that some people have a certain job to do; they're commissioned to do that task. It, it, it's like uh, it, the the uh, the um, what the Royal Commission into aged care. Their job was to investigate the aged care sector. Set a, that, that's their commission. That was their that was their job. Their job is not to investigate the banking sector. That was the Royal Commission into banking's job. So the same thing. With commissioned officers in the church, they are given a job to do, and they have to focus on that area. But they're not—they're not kind of this rank of uh, getting closer to heaven, uh, depending on on what office you're given. And sure, there's a, there's a, there's an honor honor to it, you know. Jesus gets all the glory; he's the top dog. But the the apostles also get a lot of honor, and then. Um, But they get more honour than than local elders. So, there is a sense in which there is greater honour, but these aren't greater. Like no, they're not. um, We're all equal in Christ, and it's not as though you or I are less of a Christian because we don't have the job that somebody else has. And and Paul reminds us in Corinthians: for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, "Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body." That would not make it any less part of the body. We all have different giftings and roles to play, and we're going to talk more about that gifting next week. But some will be commissioned to the specific offices of elder and deacon. But in every case of talking about leadership in the church, we need to start at the top with Jesus, who he he is the head, and he tells us how leadership should operate. He's the, he's the head of the church. He's the general, so to speak. He's the guy who calls the shots. He's the guy in ultimate authority over everything. As we're reminded from Ephesians, uh, where, where he put all things under his feet and gave him, the, the him is Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, Jesus says, jump. And we say, how high? Now, now he isn't some gruff old man uh, worn out by too much war. He is our loving saviour and captain of our souls. He's a gentle king who loves his people so much that he died for them. But but even though Jesus comes near to us as our saviour, lowly and meek, He's also the guy who who won victory, who who dealt with sin, who crushed death, who disarmed Satan, and now sits at the Father's right hand in glory. He's the guy who who's fought next to us in the trenches, who walked the walk and talked the talk, but now he's exalted. He reigns. He rules on high while his enemies are being made his footstool. He's head over all things. So so Jesus is top dog, he's the head of the church, he's the source of its, its life and vitality. But then we get the apostles, Jesus' delegates. He established his church through the guys in this office. The apostles are the guys that God used to found the church. Jesus is the cornerstone, the key foundation, and then the apostles laid the foundations of the church on Christ. They built on him. The apostles were 12 or 13, depending on how you count it, men who were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Most of them even saw his life and death before they saw his resurrection. And Jesus sent them out into the world as witnesses who could testify to his resurrection from the dead and how he had brought salvation to humanity. They went and preached the message and planted churches. By God's providence, they also wrote the New Testament, a collection of letters and stories that provide for us all that we need to know about Jesus and the church that he is building. Now, unlike the other types of commissioned officers, the the elders and the deacons, there are no more apostles. There's only 12 plus one. Why that many? Well, we can... We can guess, it's not sure, but it's a safe bet that there's one apostle to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel coming out of exile in Jesus Christ. Paul's the odd one out, but he seems to represent the Gentiles coming in to Christ. But as I said, that's a guess. But Paul notes on his apostleship, he is a witness of Jesus. He says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So none of us have seen the risen Lord Jesus in the flesh and um, and none of us have been given that special commission. So, so none of us should be claiming to be apostles. And you should be ca- very cautious about any p- person who tries to set themselves up with this, with this title of apostle. So the apostles have done their job, founding the church through the proclamation of the gospel, and they've delivered to us these words in the scriptures. So the apostles, even now, are fulfilling their office and ministering to us through the words that they wrote in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so we've got Jesus at the top. We've got the, the apostles who are Jesus' delegates who, who founded the church. But who are the leaders in the local platoon? Who are the commissioned officers in the trench with us right now? Well, we have elders who are Jesus, overseers and shepherds. In the New Testament church, when you read through Acts, you find a few times that it mentions that Paul will go around and appoint elders in the churches that he planted. He set them up to take care of the running and the oversight of the church. And Paul had a habit of doing it as he went around. And we've got a, an example of that in, in, in Acts. But he, we also have an example of how Paul told, specifically mentions to Timothy and Titus about how one of the jobs he wanted them to do in their ministry was to set up elders. He said to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So everywhere the church was, they needed elders. Elders. So, we've got these elders. We've got. We know there's a need, but what do they do? Well, we get a start. For starters, we get a hint in Acts chapter twenty, where Paul he has a little uh, pastors' conference. He's heading back to Jerusalem, and uh, he's passing by Ephesus, and he gets the elders from Ephesus to come out and meet him at the port. And uh, he has spent time with them, ministering to them, knowing that he's not going to see them again. Um, and he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So, what do we see here? What is, you know, Paul's last words to these elders, last time to kind of. Um, encourage them and, and keep them on track. What does he tell them to do? To watch their life, you know, not to be hypocrites, to have a good character, and then to watch over the flock like shepherds. They are to oversee and care for the church and they are appointed by the operation of the Holy Spirit. So before we go any further, notice this language that is used here to talk about these leaders. These elders are overseers. The elders are shepherds. There's not three separate jobs here. It's not elder, overseer and shepherd. The elders are the overseers. They are the bishops. The elders are the shepherds, the shepherds being pastors. There's one group of people who does all these things. So in our church, we shouldn't have a stratified different classes of leadership using these these different words to describe what should be the same group of people sometimes you'll find in churches um whether by accident or deliberate you'll find that they have elders who are kind of this class of leaders who are unpaid and then you've got the paid ones that are the pastors and then some churches you'll have um you'll have uh, a guy whose job it is to look after a whole bunch of different churches, and he'll be called the overseer, which is what the word bishop means. But as we see in this passage in Ephesians and uh, in other passages, the elders are the ones who are doing all these things, pa- pastoring, bishoping. Now, now, don't get me wrong, we need men doing all these jobs, it's, we, but it's unhelpful to split them up and say, well, your job is to do the shepherding stuff and your job is to do the overseeing stuff, as if all these things need to be uh, split. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So we, we realise that we have a need for elders and we realise that there's going to be different levels of ability within the eldership. There's going to be different spiritual gifts, there's going to be different personalities, there's going to be different experience. S- some will be specifically set aside to labour in preaching and teaching and they should be uh, worthy of, um, of remuneration, remuneration uh, for for their work so that so that they are freed from trying to have to hold down a job so that they can minister to the church Um, and that's why we have Steve who is who's full full time set aside to serve uh, the church he's he's our lead teaching elder and some elders will be wise and godly men but they might be equipped differently perhaps they're really good with the pastoral care or oversight they but they act together with the elders to oversee the church and, and a lot of elders will not necessarily be paid for their time, and sometimes you're not going to see them a lot up the front. And we have uh, Pastor Ray, who hasn't been with us because of um, because of COVID restrictions, but he has voluntarily served the church, caring for the body, for many years. Sadly, his time as an elder is coming to an end, and we want to appoint more godly men to take up the legacy of faithfulness in shepherding the flock. So if if it was the practice of the early church to appoint elders and we recognise the need ourselves, I suppose the next question is, what are we looking for? How do we know who to appoint as elders? Well, we read it early in Timothy. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So, some of those things are just pretty straightforward about what you're looking for, um, you know, above reproach, you know, somebody who is not obviously uh, um, you know, open to, to charge, um, you know, we're not expecting elders to be perfection, but they must... Um, they. <laughs> There shouldn't be people be able to say things about, well, he may be nice in the church, but what about his shady business deals? Or he's nice most of the time, but what about that temper? No, no, he's above reproach. He's monogamous, he's sober-minded, he's respectable, hospitable, not a binge drinker or alcoholic, not argumentative. Uh, One of the most interesting ones that is worth thinking about is manages his own household. In good order, spiritually and morally, you know when elders aren't expected to have like this um this picture perfect you know these kids all sitting quietly with their hands crossed and um, and and, a, and this and an overstatement of um, of the relationship between a husband and wife um, with a wife in it who who never kind of speaks to her husband about anything um, but there's meant to be a good, godly, spiritual order to the homes of elders. Uh, Paul even goes so far as to say in Titus that his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So we've got these, this list of qualifications and, it, and it's worth spending some time thinking about those things, but we can't spend a lot of time doing that or we'd be here all morning. But as you can see, for the most part, this list of qualifications is really what all godly men are meant to look like. This is not something that's kind of special. To the, there's only going to be a certain group of people who are not drunkards or, or, or if you, you have to hit all of these things in order to be an elder. No, we want, we want all men to be like this. In fact, we want a church where we have an oversupply of eligible men on that character front. But the only, ab- the only thing that kind of, um, you know, having all those character qualifications is great and all men should aspire to that but there is an ability, there is something extra that's needed on top of that character front and that's the ability to teach because elders are tasked with the responsibility of caring for the flock in Jesus' name and if they don't know the truth of Jesus in the Bible and they can't communicate it clearly, how Are they going to be able to lead the flock in Christ Jesus? Paul said to Timothy about elders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Okay, so we've got this qualifications for an elder. And we've discussed briefly their nature as overseers and shepherds but what does it look like? Well, for starters, it looks like Jesus. Jesus is the picture of the shepherd. He is the great shepherd. The true shepherd of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, his own people, his church, the flock who were defenseless without him. They were used and abused. In the Old Testament is uh, in particular you can see how the leaders of God's people would use and abuse the people. They wouldn't care for them. And and so God in love becomes the shepherd. We were these sheep that needed to be saved by this shepherd. We, we are sheep who, left our own devices, will wander off and, and try and do things our own way, thinking that we know better. We, we rebel against God. But when we wander off, we actually find out that we are defenceless. We, we're outside the protection of, of Jesus, like sheep wandering in the scrub while wild dogs prowl in the night for a feed. We need the good shepherd. And so Jesus be- came into the world, laid down his life for us. He fought to protect his sheep. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for the sheep. And although the sheep deserved to be lost, to the consequences of their wandering, Jesus paid for us with his own life. He laid down his life in place of the sheep, He paid for our sin and our rebellion against God with his own life. But then, having laid down his life, he took it back up again. And he rose from the dead in victory. And now he calls all sheep to himself. He calls them to hear his voice, to come to his flock and to receive protection and the care of the loving shepherd. So, friends, if if you are a sheep that's wandering this morning, if you can see that you have been wandering away from the flock of God, away from Jesus, then I invite you to to hear his voice and to come into his flock. He is a gentle saviour who will care for you, who will lead you to green pastures and living water. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and come in to the church. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. In this case, he's talking about um, bringing in the Gentiles. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So Jesus knows his sheep. So come to his loving embrace. He knows his people, and he reaches out to care for them and to save them. So coming back around then to if Jesus is the ultimate example of what a shepherd looks like, the good shepherd, now we as elders, under shepherds, pastors who are under shepherds, continue in Jesus' footsteps. He's he's won the sheep, he's purchased the flock with his own blood but he commissions officers whose job it is to care for the local flock. Elders are, are caring for Jesus' flock, not their own. You know, like when you borrow a friend's car and you're like extra careful about pulling up to the curb so that you don't, you don't uh, scuff their wheels. So we as elders are supposed to be extra careful about the fact that we are looking after Jesus' church, not our own. We'll be judged more strictly because of our job. But we want to see the flock flourish and grow in Christ Jesus, to be spiritually fruitful and multiply. We stand as Christ's representatives to the church proclaiming the good news of Jesus and discipling the spiritual community. Not as though we're the only ones who do that, but we are the example of what that looks like in theory. We, we as elders are leading, trying to lead the charge of making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. But while we're caring for the flock, we're also defending the flock. A good shepherd cares for the flock while defending the flock. And we do that by the way that we guard sound doctrine so that the sheep aren't led astray. And we also uh, do it through the process of church discipline where we turf wolves out of the church. So reps of Jesus who cares for us and protects us, the elders are a tool of Jesus, to do Jesus' work. And they're not meant to be more spiritual than everybody else. They're regular Christians, but they've been set aside, commissioned to take up this honourable task. And, and Peter talks to the elders in his, in his letter. He says, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we've got Jesus as the head. He establishes his church through the apostles. The local care and oversight of the church is done through elders, and then we have deacons, Jesus' servants. We'll cover this somewhat more briefly. But we have here the, the servants of Jesus. And just like we did with elders, we look to Jesus to see what is the picture of servanthood. What does servanthood look like? Because the word deacon, diakonos in Greek, means servant or, or Minister. The deacons are servants of the church. Jesus is our example of servanthood. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here we have Jesus showing us what it looks like to be a servant. God himself entering into human flesh, putting off glory so that he might die in the place of his people. Being a humble servant, washing feet, doing all that the Father commanded. Even though he could have been in heaven, basking in the praises of angels, he was walking the dusty streets of Palestine to save you and me. He was the ultimate servant. And he asks his people to give up themselves and to become servants with him. Mimicking Christ's character of the self-sacrificial servant. And then we see in in Acts that that the picture of of deacons coming forward, that those who are set aside to lead in service... They're not given spiritual authority, but they're still commissioned to an office in the church where they lead through servants. Because the apostles were having trouble with... uh, They were getting caught up with trying to run the practical ministries of the church, trying to feed the widows. And so they set aside uh, some deacons who were able to serve, to, to look after these practical ministries so that the apostles could devote themselves to the teaching of the Word and prayer. And if you are familiar with the passage that we read before, with the the list of qualifications for elders, you'll find that the list of qualifications for deacons is is very similar. Um, Dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. But we'll find that the key thing that's missing when you compare the qualifications for deacons and elders is that deacons are not required to teach. They're not required to take up spiritual authority. But they are still leading. They're still leading, but they're leading as servants. Practical ministry. They are, they are leading by example. They're showing the world what it looks like to be a servant of Jesus Christ in the way that they look after the, the things that they have been asked to do. They absolutely need to be spiritually healthy leading holy lives but their spiritual leadership is more a demonstration of what a faithful servant looks like. Now we, we're coming to our close here. I'm sorry that I haven't had a chance to talk about the way that gender and, uh, and leadership in the church relates and, and the intricacies of that but we've, we don't have time for that. But we have spent time looking at the fact that we need good leaders. And as the church in the trench, the outpost of heaven, we need commissioned officers who will help us, who will care for us, who will, who will provide for us and care for us, who will, who will um, show us the, the, the way to go. We need leaders on the ground with us who are self-sacrificial We know that Jesus is the head, we know that the apostles are the founders of the church in Jesus Christ, and we have the elders, the under-shepherds in the trench, and we have the deacons who are helping as servants, supporting the work. And for us here at Eastgate, this is particularly relevant for us because we are hoping to appoint new leaders in the future. And for those of you who are members with us, you have a a weighty task involved in um, when we come to appoint those new leaders, the elders are going to come and say, look, we think these guys are ready for the job and it will be up to you to confirm or deny what we believe to be true. So I would encourage you to be familiar with what these qualifications are for an elder so that, and, and to be familiar with the men who we may be appointing because you will have to add your amen or your or your no, we don't think so when the time comes. And um, so I think we will, we will finish there and, and I will pray and I'm going to pray for the blokes at the moment who are candidates uh, for eldership among us. And I'm going to pray for the appointment of future deacons. We don't have anybody on the radar at the moment, but we will likely have to appoint more deacons in the future as well. But we need to remember <clears throat> that whether we appoint deacons or, or we appoint elders, these are, these are men from among us who are meant to be exemplifying what Christ has done for us as our great shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have established Jesus as the head of the church. We thank you that Jesus is our is our great Shepherd, who laid down his life for the sheep. We thank you that Jesus is the is, our, is a servant, who laid down his life as a ransom for many. We thank you, Lord, that you haven't just abandoned your church, but you have left your church in the care of of of, of leaders. And we pray, Lord, that you might raise up godly leaders to to lead your church well. Lord, we think of those men at the moment who are candidates for for eldership, and we pray, Lord, that you might be preparing them well, and you might prepare us um, in the way that we watch their life and their doctrine, and be preparing us uh, to, to confirm or deny whether they are eldership material. Lord, we can only go on the outside, we can only um, um, judge them by their fruits, but we pray, Lord, that you would be working in their hearts so that their hearts might be right before you and committed to you and service to you. Lord, we pray specifically for Alon. We pray specifically for Matt and Paul and Sam as they as they go through the training process, as they go through the preparation pr- preparation process. Lord, we also pray uh, for future deacons, those you would be preparing for us to serve the body in a in a servant leadership capacity. Lord, we pray that you would establish your church here, and that there might be. M- People who are equipped here, who are able to go and serve your church elsewhere. Lord, we pray all of these things for your, in your name, for your glory, for your honour. Pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.